opening a new book today. It was written to the, uh, to the people of Colossae. It was a, kind of a, a small, small church in a small town on the outskirts of larger towns. So you could almost think of, you know, like a, a suburb, or you could even think of Tulare versus Fresno being a little further out, but a smaller community um, in, in that area. And Paul begins this letter with a prayer uh, for the people in the, in the town of Colossae. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in, the, in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints. The faith and love that spring from hope that is stored up in you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among, uh, among you since the day you heard and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learn from it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf who has also told, of you, uh, told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. And we pray that in, in order that you may live... Uh, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened in all power and uh, all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into a kingdom uh, of the Son he loves." in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, this is, uh, we're, we're, we're not, <laughs> there's no way we're going to cover all of that. In fact, we're only going to get to verse 1 and 2 today, I think. But Paul is the king of run on sentences. Paul is the king of, oh, let me add this one more thought. Oh, okay, this thought. Okay, okay, this thought. So if you're an English teacher, you're going to have to throw that out of, you know, that book out the door, and you'll have to deal with it. But Paul is just one of these wordy guys. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't understand that. I can be wordy myself sometimes. I often joke when somebody, I say, oh, yeah, we got out of church late. The pastor went long again. So, you know, I can understand that. Now, when I started looking at this book, it, it kind of reminded me of, uh, of a lot of different things. And when I was a little boy, I needed glasses. I guess my parents uh, figured it out on one trip. We were driving along through the hills, and I'm like, hey, Mom, Dad, look, a deer. And they're like, huh? 
I'm like, right there, don't you see it? Well, it was a hay bale. So being good parents, they went and got my eyes checked out, and sure enough, I needed glasses. I mean, all of a sudden, the world became new to me. I could see again, and, and, you know, my grades improved. My headaches started going away. I got better at basketball. It was awesome. Now, one thing that is still with me today is when I wear sunglasses, because I wear contacts now, but, you know, I cannot stand glasses being dirty. So as a kid, I'm always cleaning them, and I'm handing them all, Mom, clean these. And, And I'm always, I mean, they were spotless. And, you know, after years of living with my wife and stuff, my wife mentioned this to my mom and said, does, does, was Alan always trying to clean his glasses? And my mom started laughing. She says, he's been doing that forever. Now, I grew up with a brother that was the exact opposite. I mean, he had food all over. I mean, he could have mayonnaise across the front of his glasses. It didn't bother him one bit. I don't know why. But I'm passing on this cleanliness, I guess, to my son because he's always handing me his sunglasses to to clean, you know. But there's great application here because if we're paying attention during the study of this book, as we're going through this, for some of us, we need to take off our biblical glasses and just clean them a little bit. Some of us are going to have to go to the eye doctor, the biblical eye doctor, okay, and, and get a new prescription because, because the way you're viewing God may be a little kind of messed up. Some of us may need to just get glasses, period. But, you know, our lives, they're smudged. Our glasses of life are smudged with life. And the Bible calls this the washing of the Word. The washing of the Word. And like I said, some of us are going to have to get glasses, you know, or a new, a new prescription, because we've been wearing the same prescription and the same ideas about Jesus, and we've never gone back to the Scripture. You know, somebody told us, oh, Jesus is like this, or Christ is like this, or God's like this, and we just believed them because they were a good person. We've never gone back and said, okay, well, what they said, was, was that biblical? Is that actually even in the Bible or not? Or is that just a wonderful feeling, a wonderful saying? We have to look into the Word. And we start to see the word, we go, wow, I can see clearly now. That's not a deer, it's a hay bale. And for some of us, we adjust the prescription, and, and it's not necessarily new, we just see things a little differently. And some of us have been wearing our sunglasses inside, you know, you know the really cool people, they always wear the sunglasses inside, you know. And we're going to have to just take them off. And I think Paul is saying this to the Corinthians. I mean, uh, I think Paul says this, uh, says exactly that in Corinthians, where he says, hey, you're looking through thick glasses. You're looking through dark glass. Paul said, I long to see Jesus. And in fact, in, fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, we always use this at weddings, you know, the, the, the old wedding verses. And I'm sure if I started reading it, you would go, oh, yeah, that's, we do that at all the weddings. But it's really about the love of Christ, not for weddings, even though the world thinks it was just written about, you know, weddings. Chapter 12 through 14 talks about spiritual gifting. And then he gets to a part where, where the churches are always fighting. So in the middle, he says, you know, it doesn't matter what spiritual giftings you have at all if you don't have what? The love of Christ. None of it matters if Jesus is not the center of it all, not the middle of it all. The church becomes irrelevant when Jesus is not there in the middle of it. For some of us, the glasses have broken. Maybe it's in a fight with the devil or with our wife or our husband or 
friend, or maybe even in the church, and we have to ask God to, to, to fix those glasses, to heal, you know, heal or, or to do whatever. You know, some of us, we've gone through tough situations before we ask God for a miracle, and that miracle didn't happen, and we don't understand why it didn't happen. And we have to say, Lord, teach me, because our view of God all of a sudden gets totally mangled up. Or we start to listen to the world that doesn't believe in a God to begin with. So this book of, of Colossians is really going to be pretty challenging to us, I think, as, as individuals and a, as a church if we allow it, to do, allow it to be. So let's get into verse 1 and 2 here. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in the church uh, in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, when I say the Apostle Paul, and I want to kind of review what the Apostle Paul is, because it's been a while since we studied one of Paul's writings, and, and we have to understand where he's coming from. This word apostle is a, is a title. It's like saying Pastor Allen or, or Principal so-and-so or CEO so-and-so. It's a title that goes before the person. And if you studied anything about the Apostle Paul, you'll understand that he was not always an apostle. In fact, he was the exact opposite. His name was actually Saul. And he went by his Greek name, Paul, for some reason. We think it has something to do with his conversion, but we're not totally, you know, 100% sure. But his parents called him after the first king of Israel named Saul. And, uh, you know, he was Saul of Tarsus, where his hometown was. But he started calling himself Paul sometime after his conversion. His title, apostle, means messenger or representative, somebody who has authority, like an authoritative voice. And the, and the New Testament uh, uh, apostle, the, you know, it's like an appointed representative of Jesus Christ himself. The first apostles were, were the first disciples, and then they started adding, you know, Matthias there after G- Judas, uh, you know, betrayed Jesus, and they added Matthias. So you get the sense that they could add some. Now, they didn't have special robes. They didn't have special rings. They didn't have special, you know, big ceremonies or thrones that they set on. These were normal, everyday men that gave their lives over to God, and God started slowly changing them. They were serving the church, serving, washing the feet of the church. And the Apostle Paul comes along, and the original disciples were were really afraid of him as an apostle at the very beginning. They thought it was a big trick. Because the leaders like Paul, you know, uh, or because leaders like Paul started calling themselves apostles before the first generation was over. And we'll talk about why they were afraid of him in a second. But in Romans 16, 7, the apostle Paul refers to some Gentile apostles. So it wasn't just Jews. They were living in Rome and Andronicus was one, then Junia, which was a woman apostle. So the term is kind of a very special term. But here in Colossians, Paul is saying he is an apostle. Not because Peter made him one, not because John thought he was one, but because God said he was an apostle, and he became an apostle by Christ himself. And it goes all the way back to Acts 8 when, when the story unfolds, and, and you know, he was called Saul of Tarsus at that point, and and, you know, he's doing, you know, he was anything really but the Apostle Paul. And he was doing everything he could to, to defend the Jewish church and to go against the Christian church, those that believed in Christ. He was violently opposed to the church. I mean, when I say violently, I'm not talking about just so mad that the vein on your forehead is popping out. 
I'm talking about he was so opposed to it, he actually went out and did something about it. He attacked the church with violence. The Sanhedrin gave him permission to travel and to arrest Christians and to kill them because the Christians were causing problems for the Jews. He was a one-man crusade to rid the church of Christians. And he traveled, uh, you know, he was traveling at this point, a 170-mile round trip to go after Christians up in Damascus. I mean, this guy was dedicated. Because we think 170 miles is no big deal. We hop in the car. It's about a tank and a quarter of gas, you know, because the car is supposed to go 300 miles, so it's a little more than that. You know, we think, oh, that's just no big deal. But no, this was walking. This was riding a donkey, possibly, but mostly walking. So, I mean, he was there. He was ready to go. He had this whole entourage, really, of religious thugs. And they would go into peaceful Bible studies, and they would wreak havoc. They would drag people out on the street. They would have a trial then and there, and then they would stone them to death. That type of stuff. And we go, well, how could we ever imagine this? Just read up on the Middle East and what's going on with Christians right now because they are dragging them out of the churches and they are stoning them. They are cutting off their heads. I mean, I hate to get graphic, but they are going after Christians. They are killing them. It is happening still today. So he's on his way to Damascus when Jesus Christ, years after he ascended to heaven, years after you know, he rose from the dead and you know, ascended to heaven, he appeared to him on the road and literally kind of attacks Paul. He blinds Paul completely. Scales come over his eyes, and he gets knocked to the ground. This is not your Sunday school loving Jesus that we teach our little kids. You know what I'm saying? Man, who are you, Lord? Which meant, who are you, somebody bigger than me that just knocked me down? Who are you, Lord? You just knocked me flat. The other people don't know what's going on because they cannot see what's going on. They cannot see the thing that Paul is seeing. They can't hear the conversation that Paul is having. Paul's, I mean, Saul at this point is having a conversation with something that they can't see at all. Uh, you know, maybe a UFO type of thing. I don't know. You, know. you know what I'm saying? People are like, huh, what's going on with him? What just knocked him down? And Saul of Tarsus is on the ground. And Jesus is like, it has been hard for you to resist me, hasn't it, Paul? or Saul. It's been hard for you. I mean, bam. I mean, Jesus just went, he goes all in here. They lead him to Damascus and put him in a bed, and he ends up ironically being taken care of by the same people he's trying to kill, Christians. And they're really afraid of him right now. But he's a big mess right now. And Christ speaks to a little man named Ananias and tells him, you need to go speak to Paul, but I don't want to go speak to Paul. You need to go speak to Paul. I don't want to go speak to Paul, but you need to go speak to him. God is saying he is the one. I need you to call him Brother Paul. I need you to tell him that he will suffer because of me if he will follow me. So initially, Paul, as an apostle, really had no choice in the matter. And this is an important point. This is extremely different from my conversion to, to being you know, a Christian. In fact, I grew up in the church, and I accepted Christ at a young age. Some people, it just kind of happens naturally. 
realize one day, I, I believe. I understand this. What they're teaching me is truth. You know, I, I don't remember the exact date and time that I became a Christian. And, you know, growing up Southern Baptist, that's like, a, that's like a sin if you don't remember the date and time, you know? Other people, it's completely different. doesn't matter which way it works. doesn't matter if you know the exact date or time or if you just realize, I believe. Either one, as long as you believe, that's what matters. But Saul's conversion was totally different from, from those types. He didn't have a preacher up there sweating and screaming at him, you know, and, and going, okay, okay, I want to serve the Lord. Saul comes along, and Jesus knocks him off his feet and does this to him. And, you know, that loving Jesus, he does this. You know, Paul grew up kind of as a, you know, kind of a hell raiser. I think Jesus grew up as one that would speak the truth, where parents would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the kumbaya, Jesus. Then you start to read the book of Revelation, and you see Jesus in a different light. So I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is very different from most conversions. Then I start thinking about some of your conversions and some of the people that I've known over the years, and it's not so different I'm going, there are some people that relate to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, where they were, in a sense, knocked off their feet, where the Lord said, you are going to believe because I have chosen you. Not everyone grew up and just started believing. For some, it was a knockdown, drag-out fight with the Holy Spirit. Then they believed. See, the Apostle Paul will say over and over in his writings, I didn't choose this. I was chosen. Almost like he didn't have a choice in the matter. And that moment came rather quickly for him. He didn't have time to think about it. He didn't have time to ponder it. No, he was called into ministry very, very quickly. And for those who have had a conversion like this, you feel like there is no question in your mind about the existence of God. But for those who grew up with it, sometimes you'll, you, know, you might go, well, is there a God? Or you know, or I believe, but, but help me believe. You know, we've talked about that before in, in some of the writings. Lord, I believe, but you need to help me to believe. Because sometimes we get lost down that path. But we need to realize God has chosen us for ministry. And I'm not talking about everybody needs to stand up here where I'm standing and, and preach the Word of God. If you're called to that, then I want to I encourage that. In fact, one of the young people, I kind of joke around, hey, one day you're going to be up there. And I'm like, maybe, maybe so. Who knows? If God chooses that for them, that's great. But we're all called to ministry. We're all called. This wasn't Paul's idea. It was the will of God. And if you feel like you get this sense of calling in your life, then you're really ahead of the game because this is what we all need in, in our life as a Christian is this sense of a calling of what our purpose is in this life. So you know what you're about. Because there's a lot of people that don't have that sense and they kind of flop around and flounder about. You know, when you pull a fish out of water and get them in the boat and they're just kind of flopping around. And a lot of us feel like that. Hmm. 
You know, a lot of us drive down the road and we're not feeling like, man, I, I know exactly what God has called me to. But some of us do drive down that road and go, you know, I've been called to teach third graders and that's what I do. And you get this sense of calling about what your life is. I'm called to take care of older people down at the, the, the home that need help. Or I'm called to do this. I'm called to do that. And I represent God in the life that I'm at. You know, for some reason we think of ministry as the church. When the church is supposed to be you and me included, but us in the world. That's the church. What are you called to do? Where are you called to represent God? What job is that? Some of us are like, you know, I know my children are really irritating me now. Not listening to me, not caring. But I'm called to be a parent. Maybe that's your calling. And you go, this is why I'm here. To raise this young man, to raise this young woman in the ways of God so that they will have their calling later on. You know, if you have that feeling... And then you start to understand, I mean, maybe even 80% there. You're above and beyond most people when it comes to your understanding of where God has you. This is why many of us don't accomplish more in this life. We don't have a, you know, a sense of what God has called us to do, you know, to do in life. It's more like things just kind of happen. We do this and we do that. And life just happens. And I've talked about this before and I think I'm going to mention it one more time. And I'm going to shut up about it. But I could look at our adoption of Grayson in one of two different ways. That it just kind of happened. That I just kind of happened to be at that restaurant. And the young lady that was pregnant just kind of happened to be at the same restaurant. And we just happened to be standing behind her in line. And just happened to have a conversation with my wife about adopting. She just happened to know us from another person. We just happened to, to actually end up at that restaurant because we were going to go somewhere else. All of this just kind of happened. Or I could look at it as God putting it all together. And that's how I choose to, put, to view it. God is saying, I'm calling you to do this. And this caused all of those things to happen. Because to me, life just doesn't happen. I think most of us need to realize that God calls us to do certain things in this life more often than we ever realize. And it's our choice in, in, in going, are, am I, I going to do it or not? Or it's our choice to recognize that God is asking us to do that. Sometimes we end up doing exactly what God wants us to do and we do not recognize God in it at all. And how sad is that? Paul is going to make us uncomfortable in studying in this book because what Paul is saying in the 13 books in the New Testament that he wrote is that anyone can have a moment where God says, I'm calling you to do this in a way that's almost forcing us to do it. That a person is going one way and God intervenes and says, no, I want you to go that way. And we can either fight them or we can join them. Paul had a direction in life. He had goals. He had plans. He was up and coming in the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was to the point of he had to give up his family in following Christ because to be in a position that he was in in the Sanhedrin meant that he had to be married by Jewish law. So we think of Paul as being an unmarried man. Well, that's because his family, we think, totally disowned him. His wife basically disowned him. 
because of faith. Paul was getting a lot done for the Jewish church, but it was all against the will of God, every bit of it. And Jesus grew tired of it. And Jesus was bigger than Paul, and he met him on the side of the road, and he knocked him down, he blinded him, he put him in the bed of the people that he was going to, that would take care of him until he figured it out. And it didn't take Paul long to figure it out. And in the middle of it, he didn't say, Lord, I will serve you even if it means giving up my marriage. No, he just lost his marriage. I will serve you even if it means giving up all of my friends in the Sanhedrin that have been supporting me. No, he just lost them. Lord, I'll serve you if it means giving up the wealth that I have or even if it upsets my family. No, he didn't say those things. Those things happened because he chose to follow God. Now, for everyone, it doesn't happen like that. But for Paul, it did. There was no altar for him to lay it on. He had the sense that it was life or death in this situation. Either serve me or stay blind in bed and, and just, you know, a pathetic Jewish man in Damascus. Either serve that or serve me. you ever been in a situation where you say, you know, somebody said to you, here's your choice, and you think, well, that's no choice. I do this with Brandon all the time. I'm such a mean father. You can do one of two things, Brandon. You can either go into your school happy, or you can go into your school upset, mad, and sad, but you're still going into the school. Which one do you choose? And he's thinking, you know, most of the time he goes, won't you happy? And he's whimpering, you know, I love it. He doesn't have a choice, but he understands he's doing one of the things. He understands that he's going in there. And this is, this is what Paul is dealing with. But for, for Paul, the choice is a little different because later... Because he made a choice to follow what God said, he has a calling, a purpose, a desire to do the will of God. And Paul only did a few things in his calling, and he did them very well. He went from town to town doing the same thing everywhere he went, and he stayed within his calling. The effectiveness of one person's life is amazing when you're called to do that. Some of us are like, well, that's, that's great, Pastor Allen, but I don't have a calling like this. So give me five different ways that I can get, you know, five-step program to understand my calling of God. And I say, sorry, I can't do that because it comes from God, whatever it is. And God chooses when to give that to you. But I'm going to warn you that, that I have a sense that Christ is going to show us in this series, and he's going to show up in this series, and he's going to call people to do what he wants them to do when we open our eyes, when we clean our glasses, when we get our prescription fixed, and we start to understand and look at God differently, and God's going to say, now that I have your attention through these four pages in this Bible, I have a role for you in my kingdom. We need to understand what God has called us to do and to stop doing the things that God has called us not to do. 
Now, who would say this? And don't raise your hands so quick, okay? Listen to what I have to say first and think about it. Who would say, I really don't feel like I have a sense of calling on my life right now? Maybe I once did, but not now. And I've just kind of been going through life. But as you're talking, it is something that I want. And I would like that, even if it costs me something, I would like to live my life, the rest of my life, like I have, you know, being operated, like I have a sense of calling that this is who God wants me to be. Who would say that? I am, I'm going to come and I'm going to listen through this series so God can tell me my calling. Some people are like, I don't want to raise my hand. Good. Because I want the Lord to draw you toward your title in life. Because not everybody's going to be apostle. Not everybody's going to be teacher. Not everybody's going to be this. Maybe you're called to be a teacher. Maybe you're called to be a nurse or an accountant or a parent or a musician or a pro football player like Joel wants to be, you know? I had to plug that one. I'm praying for you, Joel. Whatever it is, it should be God's calling on your life. When you have a sense of this calling, great rewards follow you. Some of those rewards are here, some of those rewards are in heaven, but rewards will come. And it won't, con- you know, won't clear up all confusion in life, because for some reason life is just confusing. But later in life, Paul, he was saying, I don't know what's going on, but, the- but there is not the sense of, I don't know, I don't know, so I'm, therefore I'm going to stop. In other words, Paul was saying, you know, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just operating within my calling, and I'm going to keep going with that. Compared to, well, I don't know what's going on, so I'm just stopped. I'm just going to sit down right here. That's it. Over and done with. Because that's how we like to act. The other day at VBS, Brandon was, he said this, and it broke my heart. He goes, Dad, I don't want to go play that game. I'm like, well, why? What if I lose? Man, I'm trying to teach him that that playing is not about the winning all the time because he wants to win at everything, you know? Even though our society says that if you don't win, you're a loser. Sometimes it really is about playing the game. It's okay to lose. So we all say the parental stuff that we like to say, "But, but Brandon, what if you win? You see, I mean, if you don't play, you don't get the chance to win. You know, if you sit there and say, well, I might lose. But this is a four-year-old, so, so you, you can understand. Now, if we're a 40-year-old saying, well, I don't want to do that because what if I lose? We look at them and think, I mean, you're an idiot. <laughs> so we as humans, what do we do? We just don't say that out loud. We think it. And therefore, we don't get involved because what if I'm not successful at it? Because we like to use successful words, right? What if I'm not, what if that doesn't, you know, isn't a success in my life? So therefore, I'm not even going to try it, and i.e., we're an idiot. So let's start asking ourselves uh, several questions during this series. 
Question number one, does my current use of time reflect the role that God has called me to play? Or does my current use of time reflect that I'm just surviving in the dust bowl of Tulare? Number two, is my life intentional enough as I live daily in my response to the calling that I have? Or is life just happening? Number three, do I know who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing based on what Christ has clearly told me? Or am I just doing what I know how to do? Because I really haven't heard from God. Or number four, I heard a long time ago what God was telling me to do and I just never obeyed. And I actually feel maybe it's too late now. Those are four legitimate questions that we need to start asking ourselves as we go through this book of Colossians. As the Lord starts to speak to us. I'm going to ask you a question we all know the answer to mentally. But emotionally we forget, to forget the answer. Is it ever too late to be redeemed by the Lord? Is it ever too late for the Lord to redeem someone? Absolutely not. We know that mentally, but practically, when life is complicated, we forget the answer to that one. Guess what? Our God knows how to deal with complications completely. One of the reasons we fill our schedules with so many wasteful things is because we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm not saying we can't take a break, we can't relax, we can't go out there and have fun in life. I like to go fishing. I like to do other things. I talk about them all up here, you understand. But am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? One of the reasons why we keep buying things is because we think this, this is life is really all we got. Even Christians feel like that. So we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff through this book. And one thing I want you to understand, if you're not hearing from God over the next 18 to 20 weeks as we go through this, then it's usually one of two things. First, we have perpetual sin in our life, and God has told us to do something about it, and we refuse to do anything with it. And like a good father... He's not going to give us that extra scoop, or he's not even going to get it the ice cream out of the freezer, because we're being a little pill. So one of the ways that God wants, you know, that you can have the Lord speak to you more clearly in your life is to look at sin in your life and start doing something about it. Or secondly, he doesn't speak clearly on something because the timing is off. Oftentimes we feel like, like man, I, I wish I could do this right now. And God's like, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Alan, wait, wait, wait. I'm not ready for that yet. I have time for that, okay? Because I got to have this, 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 and this happen. So when it's time, everything is ready for you. Because some of us are like the person that owns the Corvette. Green light, we go. We go quickly. And God's like, no, 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 I don't want you to go yet, so I'm going to keep that light red for a while. 
So if you're like, God is not talking to me or I'm not getting this, I want you to relax because I want you to keep, the, you know, keep up the effort with the Lord. And while you're waiting on God, keep working on yourself, looking for ways in your life to connect with the Lord, looking for, for sin areas in our life to, to clean up and say, you know, I need to work on that one area because it doesn't, you know, we, th- we wish we could, sin could get out of our life instantly. Oh, I took care of that. Check that one off my list. Sometimes it takes work because we, there's habits that we have to break. We have to get our spirit ready and, uh, for when he's ready to, to speak. Because the book of Colossians is a very, uh, a very visual picture of faith. My son has faith in me. We have this routine when I drop him off at Doris's house. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll swing him certain ways, and, and, and when I'm swinging him, he, his legs are just totally flopping around, not tensed up at all. He has faith that I'm just not going to let him go off flying. Now, when he gets too heavy, I let him go flying one time. That, that'll be over with. But faith is about just relaxing in front of God and having God you know, and, and us knowing that God is not going to let go. See, it wouldn't work if we're all tensed up in life. And it doesn't work with God if we're all tensed up in life. See, our religion calls us to faith, and faith is not something that you can see. Faith is a, a feeling and understanding, and we need to relax a little bit knowing that He is in control. The old song, You Were in Control, it was an old uh, course in the, in the mid-90s. You were in control. And sometimes we have to say, God, you are in control, and I have no idea what you're doing. And that's okay. That's okay. The book of Colossians is going to stretch our faith. And it will test us if we allow it to. And at the end of this book, if our faith is not deeper then you have to ask, what did I not do? If you challenge yourself, God will challenge you in this book. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up. <laughs> Lord, we just we come to you in a, in a time of trials and tribulations in some of our lives. Things may even seem out of control. We pray that we start to get an understanding of who you are. 